Welcome back to an all-new episode of Dirtcast. I am your co-host, Madeline Davies. I am your other co-host, Megan Reynolds. And today we will be joined by our very own Hazel Sills mm. to talk about the looming presence of the male producer and how they oftentimes get credit for a female musician's entire catalog. A cool story. But before we get into that, mm. I just want to say we are recording this on election day. We are. So maybe right now you're listening and you're in such a bad mood Hopefully because things not. did not turn out the way you wanted them to. Right. Or maybe you're in a great mood. You're ecstatic. Because things turned out pretty good. We don't know that right we, now. We can do many things, but we cannot tell the future, which is really upsetting. Yes. So please, if we sound tone deaf or like we're not addressing something, it's because we truly don't know about because it yet. Because both of us voted this morning. One positive thing I will say is my polling place was packed. So was mine. And it was like people of all ages mm-hmm. and like, I don't know, people were like excited to vote, yeah. which is always... That's like fun. It like reminded me... It's very different, of course, but it reminded me of, like, the first time I ever got to vote was for Barack Obama in 2008. First presidential election. I was thinking. Mine is earlier than that. But just, like, that same just, like, yes, I'm here and I'm doing my civic duty. Yeah. I've been voting for some time. (laughs) I mean, keep it up. I think. I'll do my best. Um, Yeah, my polling place was also very packed. And the woman who is directing us to the scanning machines, she was like, it's been like this since 6 a.m. It was very crowded. And it was nice to see. And then it started pouring after I left. You know? Yeah. Maybe the sky had to let out some emotions. The sky, you know, it did. It did. How are you doing otherwise? I'm hanging in there. I have a couple of days off coming up. Do you have a plan or are you just going to do nothing? Well, one of the days I have to go to the DMV. Maddie's look on her face right now is like, that's not what you do in a day off. And I understand it is not. But I, my state ID, because I don't know how to drive, is expired. It expired on my birthday. So I have to go get a new something. Perhaps I will be bold and take a permit test. Ooh. Um, Watch out, America. If I get behind the wheel of a fucking car, no one should be on the road. I drove around a New York City block for the first time. Was it terrifying? Actually, where I live is really residential. Yeah. It was fine. Oh, yeah. No, actually, But I was very scared. Quite nervous. I have a driver's license, to be clear. Yeah, I just uh, learned how to drive in the Midwest where, like, the roads are as wide as the plains. (laughs) So I'm going to go to the DMV, and then I might get a new tattoo, and I might get a facial. Girl, plants. That's it. Plants, plants, plants. That's it. I cannot have, like, unstructured time off because I am psychotic. Yeah. How are you? I'm okay. I mentioned to you before that on the train on the way here, a woman in her 50s Mm. offered me her seat. Fucked up, dude. Um, And it has me, like, a little shook. Okay. Only because— I'm, like, wearing, like, like a dress that's kind of sack-shaped. Right. Um, so I wouldn't begrudge her for thinking that I could be pregnant. You don't look pregnant. I'm just saying, like, if she was just like, I can't tell because this <sighs> dress is whatever, and, like, mm-hmm. her belly was swollen Stop. from eating Thai food. Leave it alone. No, it's fine. It's, okay. it's nice. <laughs> Believe me, I'm not, like, feeling okay. bad All about right. this. All right, But I just was like, is that what it is? Because— I have had the internal debate of, like, is this person pregnant? Yeah. Should I give them my seat? Right. Um, and usually it's, like, if you really can't figure it out. Don't like, do it. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll just get up. And then see if they take it. And then – or just, like, leave it open, you mm-hmm. know? But if I was, I would definitely be in the, like, I don't know stage. Right. Know? So I'm not mom. She's not. She's not. <laughs> she's not. 
but yeah, it was just like one of those things where I was just like, that was so weird. And then an elderly man with a cane came on the train. Oh, boy. And she didn't offer the seat to him. The fuck? Dude, I don't know. It was very weird. You want me to fight anybody, I will. No, I mean, like, okay. she was being nice. She was. I just was deeply confused. If you, again, my offer still stands. Thank you. Anytime. Yes. Go here. track her down. I will f- I've offered to fight at least three people today, and it's only 11.14 in the morning. Um, yeah. Me a long day. Going to hit up Pilates later. Oh, okay. <laughs> You know what we should talk about? Because I think there's a lot to talk about. Fuck yeah, there is. Let us get right the fuck into the dirtiest dirt. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Thank you, Next. Thank you, Next. And I'm not saying that to move on to the next subject. No, no. we're going to be talking about that Ariana Grande song that she dropped on Saturday. Probably a while. Here is what happened. As we know, fucking Pete Davidson and Ariana Grande broke up. They have been, I think, very publicly messy about this. Just in the way that one does when you are young were previously in infatuation slash love and also engaged. Last week on Thursday, Pete fake proposed to Maggie Rogers, who was the musical guest on Saturday Night Live this past week. Hey, Maggie. Uh, I'm Pete. Hey, Pete. You want to get married? No. Over three. And Ariana saw that and then tweeted, but deleted, for somebody who claims to hate relevancy, you sure love clinging to it, huh? Which is... Really, when I saw that, I think I screamed in my room. And then about a half an hour this past weekend before Saturday Night Live aired, Ariana released a song called Thank You, Next. It is great. I also think it is a bop. Yeah. The thing that I am like a little bit confused by. Okay. I can't tell if it's like generous or petty because I don't think it's like a mean song. Okay. Okay. I have an answer for you. I like think. a real one? I like do. a confirmed? Not a confirmed answer. You have a theory. I have a theory. I just I like to call my, my theories answers. <laughs> well, I wrote about this yesterday because I've been thinking about it since I heard this. I've listened to the song like a million times. Clearly, I'm in like a place irrelevant. I think that it is both. I think the lyrics are a little petty. So what lyrics are petty? Um... I guess it's, I mean, I guess the thing that I think is the most petty about it is, like, the title. <laughs> Thank You, Next is Yeah, I mean, when I saw the title, beautiful. I thought it was going to be, like, a like really a, like mean a, song. Right. But it's, like, not a mean song. No. It opens. Thought I'd end up with Sean, but it wasn't a match. Wrote some songs about Ricky, now I listen and laugh. Even almost got married, and for Pete, I'm so thankful. Wish I could say thank you to Malcolm. He was an angel. One taught me love. 
I mean, she's just speaking like someone who has been in therapy for a minute. And then I think she's confirmed that, like, after the Pete breakup, she had been. She said that she's been in therapy the whole time. Yeah. She was like, actually, like, therapy has, like, saved my life. Yeah. Right, but where is that petty? I think Thank You Next is petty in its title, but then that's it, the title. Yeah, that's it. I guess it's not necessarily petty to, like, thank all of your exes for letting you realize that you were— that you could be, like, the you that you needed to be your whole life or whatever. It's motivational, but I do think that on some level, I think there's, like, a nibble in there somewhere. I mean, it sounds like she's, like, processed this or she is in the process. She's in the process of processing her breakup and, like, moving forward and trying to fucking go on this tour, which I stupidly did not buy tickets for, but now we'll find on StubHub. Pete Davidson also addressed the breakup he on did. Weekend Update on Saturday right. Night Live. And the last thing I will say is I know some of you are curious about the breakup, but the truth is it's nobody's business. Since when? He was my daughter's business. I know. And sometimes things just don't work out, and that's okay. She's a wonderful, strong person, and I genuinely wish her all the happiness in the world. Now, please go vote on Tuesday, all right? I felt like that song and that statement are kind of in line where it's just, like, fairly respectful. Right. But I mean, Pete, again, from what I can see, and the only I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm probably going to write about it for the for the end of year. Pete has been processing this in the way that I like I wouldn't expect him to do it any other way. I would say this as if I know him, but I don't. I feel like he's been saying kind of shitty things on SNL. He's just been like milking it for like content. Their relationship. Their relationship, the aftermath of their relationship. Like I would like to think that this is like the end. Like they've both said their piece. Yeah. But she got like last word. For sure. Which is a powerful, I mean, nothing feels as good as getting the last word, if you ask me. So another thing I want to focus on yeah. is, of her exes, which one taught her love? One taught me love. Which okay. one taught her patience? Which one taught her pain? Do you want to say what you think first, and then I'll say what I think? Um. Yeah, I okay. think Big Sean probably taught her love. Okay. I think that Mac Miller probably taught her pain. Mm-hmm because of, you know, mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. tragically dying of sure, an overdose sure. and sure, dealing sure. with addiction throughout their relationship. Yep. I don't know enough about Ricky. He was a dancer. He was, I, know, yeah. I know that. I know he was, like, one of her backup dancers. Mm-hmm. But, like, the fact that she says that she listens and laughs about her songs about Ricky seems yeah. like she doesn't take it super seriously. I think that was, like, an early relationship. Like, yeah, that's my guess. Um, and I don't know who Patience is. Pete Davidson, 1,000%. Dating Pete Davidson seems like an exhausting but occasionally rewarding undertaking and I imagine that you would need a lot of patience to date Pete Davidson. You were singing a different tune a few months ago. <laughs> I, can, I also think though <laughs> what patience if you only last less than six months? I mean I that's just, not patience. That's not patience but I do think Pete Davidson seems like the kind of person who requires a lot of fucking patience. So much projection. <laughs> I was talking about this with people at work yesterday, and that was how it broke down. I think that Mac Miller could have also taught her uh, patience. Yeah. Yeah. Because also, getting engaged after two weeks of dating is not patient. No, that's fucked up. I don't think that equals patience. Again, Pete Davidson just strikes me as the kind of person who even from the jump you need patience to deal with. To Pete's credit, he uh-huh. did change the narrative pretty quickly, he redirected did. it. Because in that same bit, he was making fun of 
Dan Crenshaw, who is a Republican congressional candidate from Texas, yeah. lost an eye in Iraq in 2012. Yeah. Oh, oh come on, man. Yeah. Hold on. Uh, you may be surprised to hear he's a congressional candidate from Texas and not a hitman in a porno movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know he lost his eye in, in war or whatever. <laughs> People got upset because, again, like, he's a wounded vet. But I just want to say he also is anti-choice, pro-gun, pro-wall, and anti-gay on the grounds of religious beliefs, so I yeah. don't give a fuck. Yeah. One thing I thought we could talk about yes. in this realm mm. is, like, what our favorite or maybe just notable breakup songs are. A song that I listen to a lot that I know is a breakup song, and I just, I think it's a good, it's a good song because it has a message that I enjoy. Is It's not right, but it's okay. It's not right, but it's okay. I'm gonna make it anyway. back. I love that song. Because it really applies to so many things aside from like some idiot cheating on you or whatever. Many things in this life are not right, but... I mean, that's like, it's like definitely about it cheating. Yeah. Well, because there's like a line in it about like the receipts. Yeah. Yeah. That's Whitney Houston. Yeah. To K- be clear. To be I think all of our listeners might know that. Taylor Swift, of course, is like the queen yeah. of writing about breakups. Like, yeah. We're never, ever, ever getting back together. Sure. It's about Jake Gyllenhaal, as right. we all know. And then right. Dear John is about John Mayer. Yikes. We're Never Getting Back Together is a song that I think is actually pretty good until it gets to the point where she's like, and then I like called him and oh, he was like, like oh, like the spoken word interlude. I truly hate when she does that. I don't like a um, spoken word interlude. Which really, really uh, bums me out. Uh, <laughs> there is, of course, a song that I enjoy very much that I think is probably fun to sing at karaoke before he cheats by Carrie Underwood. Yeah, that's a great one. It's a really that's good like song. so fiery. It's super fun. There's Justin Timberlake's Cry Me a River, which I enjoyed for a period of time in college and have not listened Famously to Famously about Britney Spears. is insane to me. They used her a doppelganger they her did. in the video. They did. The video is deeply creepy. I haven't seen it probably since the early 2000s. I mean, it's basically he like has sex with a woman in his ex-girlfriend's apartment and videotapes it and then oh, has it play right. when she walks in because yeah, like Yeah, dude, I remember now. Yeah. It's fucked up. I'm also a big fan of Justin Bieber's Love Yourself. Best thing I never had by Beyonce. The way that the song is feels very, like, motivational to me just yeah. because it's a little upbeat. Also, she turns out great. Yeah, she's end. fine. I mean, most of these breakup songs, the person singing is usually like, I'll be okay. Like, I'm fine. I um, do find some of, like, the Taylor Swift illusions. Yeah. Um, to just to be so funny because it just seems really out of character for the person she's singing about. Mm. Uh, I, You know, I, I know very little about her catalog because I she's also— 
on your list? Uh, my my list is mercurial. It changes every day. I don't know. There's like a lot of songs about like Harry Styles and it's all like, ooh, he's a bad boy. And I'm just like, Ew. Oh, I think he's just like. Just a dude. I mean, he's a smoking hot dude. Smoke. Yeah, it's true. And like she got like a doppelganger to play him in the Trouble video. Although I don't think that song is about him. Isn't Into the Woods, the Out of the, the yeah. Woods song about him, about their snowmobile accident or whatever? Yeah. You were looking at me. That's how it goes. Oh, thank you. You were looking at me. That is how. Oh, that. Yeah. Okay. All of country music is basically angry breakup songs or like murder ballads. Like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend by Miranda Lambert. I'm not familiar with much of Miranda's work. Well, she can get real fired up. There's a song that she does that's also like a breakup song, but sort of reframed called Mama's Broken Heart. Okay. It's about like she like cuts her own bangs because she's like drunk. Nice. I cut my bangs with some rusty kitchen scissors. I screamed his name till the neighbors called the cops. And it's written by my number one girl, Casey Musgraves. Wow. Look at that. That's nice. I like that. That's all we have on this subject specifically. I would like to break up with this topic. I We are this topic and we are splitting up. We are amicably parting with this topic. <laughs> Let us move on. We wish it all the best. We wish it all um, the best. I wish you the most happiness. It's only Literally, uh, don't the call business me. between oh. us and them. Right. Don't um, call me for six months. Please respect our privacy at this time. Mm-hmm. Thank you. On Keeping Up with the Kardashians, we got to see Khloe Kardashian find out about Tristan Thompson's cheating. Kylie is the one who told her in a text message. <laughs> but it was funny because everybody basically found out through TMZ. And so we got to see the reactions of everyone as they got, like, the push notifications, basically. <laughs> um, and this, if you recall, was on the eve of her uh, birth. Oh, that's right. The um, timing was beautiful. Honestly... It's like I'm in shock. We love Tristan. Like, this is just nothing that we suspected. We thought she finally found her, you know, Prince Charming, happy ending. Khloe Kardashian was very, very active on Twitter during the episode, tweeting about, like, how emotional the experience was, which, yes, understandable. Like, Mm -hmm. one, you are nine months pregnant, and two, your pro basketball player boyfriend is out fucking around. Probably not for the last time. True. She was like, thank God a camera was not with me in Cleveland. I won't put in writing what I did, but let's just say he's lucky I was nine months pregnant, which is very strange. I'm trying to parse so that. There's so much that you can like— Who could say what that means? And then she also said, I love filming for the show, and I'm proud that we are all strong and brave enough to be vulnerable, but we have to start airing shows closer to real time. This episode is about seven months old, and it's a lot to relive over again, but maybe I need to. It's a really good point. That shit sucks, man. I mean, they've signed a blood oath to be on E! for the rest of eternity, but that is a valid point. That blows. What was nice is that on the episode that they aired this, they showed also where all of the sisters were when they found out. Yeah, and Kendall was going skydiving with Scott Disney. Yeah. <laughs> Just a natural situation. A a normal thing that you do. Kim was filming a confessional. Kylie was getting her makeup done. I don't know. Rob was under the bridge where they left him. Yeah, Rob was like counting his Arthur George socks and like wondering when his mom would pick up his calls. 
also to like throw a monkey wrench into love, things. Love a wrench. Is the rumor that the Kardashians actually knew about this for months and that oh. it was Chris kind of controlling when the images came out. Right. So that it could have the most like oomph for their show. Oh. But yeah, so I think that's kind of interesting to consider when you think about Certainly. their reactions mm-hmm. and Chloe's, although I feel bad for her. On the website affidavit, mm-hmm. Andrea Longchu wrote a oh yeah, safe to say scathing a review real scorcher of Jill Soloway's book. Uh, she <sighs> wants it. Oh lord, I recommend everybody read it just because it's like a fiery piece of writing. It's just it's very it feels very nice very to read, spicy. Yeah, yeah. I feel weird talking about the book since I haven't read it, but one of the most damning things that there's really no way to explain itself around ah, yes. is Soloway tells the story of when Trace Lissette, who is on Transparent, came out against Jeffrey Tambor saying that he had sexually harassed her on set. And this actually was the second accusation. The first one was his assistant, Van Barnes. The conversation they had, according to Soloway, right. this is not projected. I will read to you because it is Fucking terrifying. It's not terrifying. It's, it's fucking just like so insane. gross. Yeah. And like for like an ally and like someone whose whole thing the is like mess. lifting up women and LGBTQ people and like marginalized people, it's um, really telling. Mm. So this is from the book. If Trace released a statement, it would be over for Jeffrey. And that meant Moira, the show, our TV family, everything. Soloway says to her, I can't believe you're doing this. And then Lisette said, well, that happened to me. Right. Going on, Lissette added, I had to tell my story, but I said in the statement that I wanted the show to continue. This is Soloway. But the idea of the show will be tarnished now in everyone's mind. In middle America, when people think of trans people, there's still so much suspicion, and Moira became this beautiful symbol of transness, and now you're laying this imagery out there of her being a predator. Suddenly, I started crying, I being Jill Soloway, and she was horrified. I'm the victim and you're crying, she demanded. She was right. I was sitting across from her, frozen with fear. I tried to stop myself from crying, like Michael in The Godfather. I tried to play it stoic and cool. I didn't say, Fredo, after all I've done for you. I said, I wish you luck. And then I walked away. An hour later, the article came out. Yikes. uh, Fucked up. Galling to me. It's so bad. To tell, like, an actual trans woman and trans activist that it's more important to uphold the image of Jeffrey Tambor playing a trans woman, especially, like, for what they proposition the show as. Yeah. I think the whole thing, and even to compare it to The Godfather, which, by the way, that's Godfather dose, Jill. Mm, Thanks. Is a little bit crazy because— Have you seen the movie? No. Okay. Well, so basically, Fredo is— Al Pacino's brother, okay. and he betrays the family in a sure. very extreme way. Okay. And then they have Fredo killed. <laughs> so it's a really weird that's comparison. Shitty. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Jill Soloway, man. All of the rest of the stuff in this review, I was like, okay, I could see how some of this could be subject to interpretation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, again, out of context, I don't know. Correct. But it's like, there is no way you can contextualize that story beyond just being horrible. But, but yeah, exactly. Good stuff. I did love the first couple seasons of Transparent. I thought it was such a good show. I watched whatever season it was that ended with Judith Light singing. Yeah, that was uh, third? The, the third season. That scene of Judith Light, Light singing like, like destroyed me. Amazing. So I get like the disappointment, like, oh, no, the show totally. is going to be different. But also, 
Suck it up. Like, yeah. you're rich. They, if you're, like, so creative. Yeah, you have, like, like another like, show. A creator, figure it out. This is a nice little thing that happened over the weekend. Rebel Wilson is starring in a romantic comedy called Isn't It Romantic? She has claimed that she was the first ever plus-size girl to be the star of a romantic comedy. She made this claim on Ellen, where everyone makes all of their (laughs) claims, where, where I would like to go to make many claims, and Instagram, another place where people love to claim things. Lots of people were like, hey, ma'am, that's not true. Queen Latifah and Monique have been in romantic comedies. Like, just FYI. Yeah. Um, and re- Also, mm-hmm. a little movie called Shallow Hell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All righty, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your time. I, see, I was wondering what you were waiting to say, and it was that. <sighs> so a lot of people were like, all right, guess what? That's not true. Here's some examples. The examples that were presented were The Last Holiday, which starred Queen Latifah in 2006. And Monique was in a movie called The Fat Girls, which also came out in 2006. But Rebel Wilson and Monique got into like a conversation on Twitter. Here's what Rebel Wilson said. She said, hey girl, yeah, yeah, I of course know of these movies, but it was questionable as to whether, one, technically those actresses were plus size while filming those movies, or two, Technically, those films are categorized slash billed as a studio rom-com with a sole lead. So there's a slight gray area. (laughs) I will say I did think when I think of Queen Latifah in Just Right, I would see her as being like technically plus size, but not fat. Right. So I could see that being like actually kind of a gray area. Right. That's me just splitting hairs. Far be it for me to tell anybody what to do, though I do love to do it. It's usually best in these situations, I think, if someone is like, hey, maybe you're wrong. Yeah. Just to be like, oh, hey, maybe I am wrong. Yeah, it's like when Sam Smith <laughs> said easy. that he was like the first gay person to oh win an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> and like 25 people were like, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> the guy who directed Milk was like, oh. Except, pardon, <laughs> hello. Everybody needs to think for 20 to 60 seconds before they say words out loud. I mean, I could see just like saying that off the cuff, but then you just have to be like, oh, whoops, I was wrong. And That's then true, promote yeah. those movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing I saw on Twitter, this was Rebecca Carroll, who you should follow. She's very smart. She is. She was noting the similarities between this and the Amy Schumer movie, um, I Feel Pretty. Ah. Um, and how they're both about white women who hit their heads and then wake up in a world where everybody's attracted to them and how it's not, like, that revolutionary of an idea. No, it's not. I think just based on the trailer, there's, like, a little bit more to this one because it's not just, like, about men being attracted to her. It's about making fun of rom-com She's stuck in a rom-com, I think, is the premise. She literally says, I'm stuck in a (laughs) rom-com. Right. And so I feel like that is more the trope of this one. Yeah. Um, But also... I agree that, like, it's kind of a tired concept. Although, I bet money, she mm. ends up with Adam Devine at the end instead of uh, a hottie, hottie, hot, hot, right? You're probably right. You know, I lost the last bet that we made, but I was that was a bet I was born to lose, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the two takeaways that any celebrity should take from this podcast is think before you speak, and we wish you the best. Yeah, but then this podcast would not be on. <laughs> <laughs> so, keep, <laughs> so keep doing what you're doing. We love it. Put that foot in your mouth. Eat the foot. 
sitting in our studio is the littlest witch. Uh, our dear friend Hazel Sills, who is here to talk about her article about Jack Antonoff and kind of the role of the male producer and the way that male producers oftentimes overshadow the female artists that they're working with. Mm-hmm. Mm. Hello, Hazel. Hi. So, Hazel, you wrote this piece called Jack Antonoff and the Unrelenting Shadow of the Male Producer. And I know that you had been thinking about writing this for a while. Why had this been something you'd been thinking about? Yeah, I've been thinking about it because Jack Antonoff, who's an artist in his own right, he does work as bleachers, and he was in that band Fun, period. Fun. Fun. Period. His work as a producer and a songwriter has kind of been getting more high profile over the past few years. He's worked with Taylor Swift and Carly Rae Jepsen, and he co-produced and co-wrote Lord's Melodrama, Mm. and now he's working with Lana Del Rey and mm. maybe the Dixie Chicks. What? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were, he like, they posted Instagrams of each other in the studio. This I'm is very news upset. to Megan. It, it, um, lot, lots of stuff is news to me. I'm very and, upset. Okay, uh, only one of us read your article. <laughs> I read it but last <laughs> week. Okay, you know what? Carry on, Miss Sills. So Thank you. He has been doing a lot of press for his work with other artists. And he's always struck me in interviews. He just loves to talk about how much he works with women Mm, and how much he prefers to work with women Mm. and how when he thinks about the songs he wants to write, he doesn't think about them in a men's voice. He thinks about them, you know, women singing them. Right. Hard to imagine someone who dated Lena Dunham not being able to shut the fuck up about their (laughs) worldview. And yeah, but I They're think, perfectly suited. I think that's exactly <laughs> it, is he really can't kind of shut up about it, all of his collaborations with women. And then that's kind of led to a lot of press and media coverage of him as this kind of like the secret sauce to right. all of these women and their success as right. musicians. So he is just kind of this producer who I think has earned the reputation for kind of being like a nice guy producer who helps women, you know, be the best they can be. But Mm. then he gets all these profiles where it's like, no, Jack Antonoff is the real reason why melodrama is so good or, you know. It's like Jack Antonoff got the New Yorker festival slot. Lana Del Rey just came Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's stuff like that. So he's just kind of gotten on my nerves and the narrative around him has gotten on my nerves. So that's kind of where this piece came from. I feel like we— cannot talk about Jack Antonoff without mentioning that he lived at home well into his late 20s oh, and was then like 27. recreated his childhood bedroom in his tour bus. Yeah, and took it on <laughs> tour, which is very like, it's kind of a premature exercise in like myth-making. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, mm-hmm. like this yeah, is where right. it happened. Yeah. It's a little early for a myth to be made about. I think also it is kind of funny how if you think about how we tend to idolize and like nostalgize. Is that a word? I don't know. People know what I'm trying to say. They do. Um, (laughs) They do. That it's like the way we do this that I can see how that will one day become just like a fascinating quirk as opposed to just like a dorky ass quality, which is how it is now. Yes. But I like some Jack Antonoff produced songs. No, I do too. And I, I mentioned that in my piece. Like I do like a lot of his production and obviously the artists that he works with, but I just don't like how the media kind of centers him mm-hmm. in right. those narratives. Totally. Right. It's like 
you know, Lana Del Rey recently performed a song at, like, one of the Apple events. I don't know, the, like— A keynote of where sorts. They, <laughs> yeah. Apple keynote. Where they, like, reveal a thing. And it was a song that she, you know, made with Jack Antonoff. And it was confusing to me because it's a Lana Del Rey song that he helped produce. Mm-hmm. But, like, why does he even need to be there? Yeah. Right. He was literally just the producer. You mentioned this in your piece where it's, like, the song Greenlight, the Lord song, which is really a fun, great song. I feel like the first thing that happened, it was, like, one, he's in the music video just, like, playing a piano. Yeah. Um, but also just everyone I know was like, oh, yeah, there's the Jack Antonoff bridge. Like, everyone yeah. was just yeah. like, oh, yeah, there it is. And I get that it is a recognizable song, but I also love Lord. Yeah. And I just want to talk about Lord. I don't know. It just seems kind of like, and I, and I want to respect the fact that, like, these women chose to work with him. Right. Yeah. But I just don't think you can say in one breath that uh, you love supporting women, you love giving women the center stage in the recording studio, and then also continually appear in their music videos and SNL performances mm-hmm. and give interviews about how involved you were in the process. Right. And I just don't know if you can have both things, which is, you know, I think what I was trying to get at in this piece is like no matter how much of a good guy you say you are or how much of an ally you present yourself to be, the title of being a male producer is so loaded. Yeah, yeah. totally. And you can talk, talk, talk about like how many choices Lord made, mm-hmm. but if you want to be a part of that conversation about how the album was made as opposed to say like Max Martin, who is a very famous Swedish producer who works with every pop star ever who, like, doesn't give any press. Right. People are going to refer to you as the reason for these artists' success. Right. Yeah, I mean, and it's not entirely Jack Antonoff's fault. It's sort of, like, also the way that our culture rewards men for even the accomplishments of women. I mean, yeah, Maddie, what you were saying about the sort of, like, the Jack Antonoff bridge, I mean, I think he's just taking a a page out of Phil Spector's... Playbook. Hopefully yeah. without the murder. I mean, hopefully murder. without the murder. <laughs> I did not mean to imply that Jack Antonoff will murder somebody. Well, it, but it is interesting, not speaking of murder, but mm-hmm. speaking of implications. Sure. How he is like rumored to have had relationships with a lot of the women he works mm-hmm. with, where it's like he's supposedly dating Lana Del Rey, maybe. Oh, I didn't even know oh, that. Yeah. that is... That's I mean, that again is it's very much alleged. A whisper. If and you then will. of course, like surrounding Lord, there was the whole thing where, like— I mean— And if anybody actually went and saw them at uh, the Barclays Center when as you uh, did, Lord I performed— believe. yes. They were stupid. <laughs> alleged, <laughs> alleged. Alleged. Allegedly I mean, Allegedly. They, like— You got some they really put vibes. like You got they, some, like, stup vibes, though? They really italicized the word allegedly. So it's like, allegedly. Mm. They sang a cover of St. Vincent's New York. Mm. And, like, they were mm. sitting so close that their knees were touching. Mm. And they were, like, staring at each other. No need to so touch weird. knees during a piano time song. But yeah. that's another thing, too. It's like, can't he recognize that that's, like, a little weird? Like, I mean, not? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I did kind of love when she was like, everybody, New York native. Uh, and then, like, you like, who's it going to be? Like, you know, and then it's just like, Jack. Is he from New Jersey? He's from New Jersey, and he lets everyone know. He's obsessed with being Loves from New, New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah. This was sort of just like, this was the Brooklyn, I don't know. I think it was like he grew up, he, like, grew up 10 blocks from here. Yeah. And, like, you just, like, think it's going to be someone that's actually, like, Like, cool, from New York? And it's like... And it's, Fine. You know, <laughs> fucking Jack Anson, Lena Dunham's ex from um, New Jersey. Yeah, and then at one point he tried to, like, diss Lord by saying... 
Ella eats bodega sushi. And it was just like an in-joke. Oh, like a thing between, like a— Like clearly she, like, while they were working, like, got sushi from the bodega. Ugh, I, this man really, <laughs> really fucking bothers me. I just think it's very—it was just like one of those things where I was just like, oh, my God, what are we watching? It's Like, I think I was like, actually had my hands on my face. Because so it's I was like, just like <laughs> I mean, that's just stuff that is not for the eyes of the public. I do think, like, you know— like, romantic rumors aside, like, I do think he cultivates this kind of, like, ooey-gooey, like, mm. slumber party. Yes. Like, yes. vibe of the recording studio. And like, it's like, it's no, like, we're like, so, mm. we're close, we're friends. Pajamas. But then I'm like, then why do I feel like when people talk about the music that these women make, like, you're just always there. I don't yeah. know. Just, like, lurking in the corner, like, yeah. hello. Sort of brings the light of like how much credit should he get, you know? In that it's like definitely some. No, of course, yeah. You know? Producer like, should get credit. He has like a touch for sure for like making pop music, right? Yeah. Like I don't want to like entirely blame him for this because it's like yeah, he's like a talented person who's not entirely undeserving of attention right. or accolades, but also he upsets me on a personal. level. Yeah, he upsets <laughs> me on like a cellular level. Jeff it's just the thing where it's like I think if you want to be like a hashtag feminist ally, which mm. I do, not all producers want to be that. That's true. Yeah. And he's clearly someone who wants to be that. Right. Because yeah. he talks about how much he loves women. Working with so women. Many right. interviews. And I think if you want that, then you need to be aware of your voice and how bright the spotlight is on For your sure. contributions. Right. I also truly do not, I'm not implicating Jack Antonoff in this. I just no. want to be very, very clear. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I that, know. Like, Again, this this whole— pro, like, Alleged, alleged. No, I mean, this is not even at all okay. about him okay. at oh, all. I'm still embraced um, for impact. Yes. But it's like, I do have this thing with, like, outspoken male feminists where I'm just like— <sighs> Oh, yeah. Give it two months and there's going to be— Yes! Ten rape allegations against him. And no. usually I'm right. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but again, I, like, have never heard anything like Same. that about Jack Antonoff. And I am— uh, Someone who are you an insider? I'm not an insider, <laughs> but I am a bit of a um, like a a varies from Game of Thrones. And oh, I just like a, to collect a, my a whisper, secrets. A whisper master. It's that thing where it's like when someone is so vocally like a male feminist and supporter of women. Mm-hmm. There's always a catch. It is sort of like a rock and a hard place situation because I think about sometimes with like women's rights. I'm like, why? Are women the only ones fighting for this? Why are women the only one being vo- yes. being vocal about sure. this? And then it's like you have someone but then a man like Jack Antonoff, talking. and he <laughs> isn't necessarily talking about women's rights, but he's talking about like uplifting women, mm. and then that's irritating. And so I'm just, I guess this is just like the root of feminism, right? <laughs> this is like the debate that we get <laughs> into is. of like how much of a role can men have. I mean, it's a fine line, and it fe- I feel like it's one that, like, honestly, for me at least, changes like every day. I guess it's, do you make it about you and do you make it your brand? And he's made it his brand. He's made it his brand. And I think, you know, and I talk about this in my piece, like there is a history. The male producer is one loaded with genius. Like if a man's in the room, it doesn't matter if a woman's made the song entirely herself, the man's still going to get credit. Right. And then the male producer in history is also loaded with like misogyny. Like from like Phil Spector to like, you know, Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke. Mm. Yeah, it's it, there's a history of, like, control and yeah, manipulation totally. and assault. And and so I think Antonoff is very 
aware of that history. And I think he actively works to combat that stereotype. Yeah. But I don't know. I— I believe that <laughs> bad male behavior exists on a spectrum. For sure. You don't Love have that. to be a rapist to be a bad man. I still think that the way he positions himself in the press and the attention that he gets for what he does in the studio still makes him bad. Yeah, I think for <laughs> me it just makes him cloying. Yeah, it, he's, he's annoying. I mean, we're spending like a lot of time on him. So um, But, you know, <laughs> like we— have been saying it's a long-held problem or not mm-hmm. problem it's just i mean it, i guess it's a fly in the ointment okay I don't know. okay it's just like a, it it's can, like an it, assumption it can be a problem so yeah. like again we have someone like dr luke who yeah. also was positioned as someone who like not uplifts women but sort of the brilliant mind behind some great pop songs mm-hmm. and then he probably sexually assaulted his uh Musicians. Yeah, sure. And again, I only say probably for legal reasons. Yeah. You and your piece mentioned Dev Hines, who produced um, a lot of Solange's music and how people have really given him a ton of credit for it, which she has pushed back on. Yeah, suddenly, like, Solange makes an album with Dev Hines, and I like Dev Hines, but he produced, you know, an album or co-produced, co-produced with Solange, her album, True. And suddenly reviews were saying that she was his vocal muse, which gets into this other problem that happens. Suddenly you're reduced to just being a vocalist rather than a writer and a producer. And so, yeah, that was another example of, you know, the way women's work gets erased in Mm -hmm. the music press. Because, again, if a man's in the room, he's going to get all the credit, even if you look at the liner notes and it's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm co-written, co-produced. And I know, like, they actually had kind of a falling out surrounding that. They did, yeah. I think they're, like, friends again. Yeah, I think they are. But, like, because of that narrative, they definitely went their separate ways for a while. The Pitchfork review of True, they said, Heinz has met an ideal female vocal muse in Solange who executes each cut with simple grace and yearning naivete. Yeah, but that's another thing, too. It's, like, executes. Yeah, like, he, like he has yeah. the whole vision. She is merely, like, the vessel for his fucking brilliant genius. And so all she's going to do is sing, and then he gets all the fucking praise. I hate everyone. Also, Ooh. guess what, Dev? She did the Proud Family theme song without you. She did. She did. She didn't need his ass. <laughs> but again, I like Dev Hines also. He is definitely someone who seems to enjoy being in the background a little bit more than being in the foreground. Yeah, I mean, I think Jack Antonoff just seems like he's never been told, like, it's okay to not. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's all it is. It's like, just, yeah. you yeah. can. But I think that's a disease that, like, a lot of our generation has. You know? I, I'm leaving now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, it's misguided to only focus on him. I'm so sorry, Jack. I, I, Megan is just on a tear. Um, I don't hate Jack Antonoff. I just, I think I the do. point of my piece <laughs> was just, like, I just want you to watch yourself about yeah. how you speak about your work. And I also want people who write about those artists. So, like, just be aware. Be aware of, like... Watch themselves. Yes. Everybody watch yourself. Everyone watch themselves. Fucking just take care of your shit. I'm going to read something that you wrote, Hazel. So, in her piece, Hazel wrote, That's traditionally how it's worked. The history of pop music made by women but produced by men is often one of erasure. Women may be the stars of their music, their names alone listed on their songs, but the men who write, produce, or mix for them, even as a collaboration, are seen as puppeteers who guide them, and in the worst case, Svengali's. 
Uh, Phil Spector to the Ronettes, Max Martin to Britney Spears, Timberland to Aaliyah, Dr. Luke to Kesha. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, too, that there aren't a lot of female producers working. I mean, it's probably because of opportunity, I would guess, and because of what you're kind of told you can do from, like, as far as a music standpoint. Right. It's like another one of those things that could probably be somewhat fixed or at least offset by bringing more diverse voices into the production room. And, you know, music would get more interesting. Yeah, I also think women are maybe moving to self-produce more. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, you know, certainly Solange is a good example of someone who I think when she went to do A Seat at the Table, she learned from how Dev Hines was treated on True and Mm -hmm. and kind of took over the reins a little more, like, like, explicitly. A Seat at the Soundboard. (laughs) Sure. You could, she okay. took a seat at the table, literally, in she sat the studio. at the thingy with, the, the, with, the, with the, what's it called? Mixing board, the sliders. Yeah. I mean, there are women producers, it's just they're not getting invited into those rooms mm. the same way men are, especially at, like, the top tier right. of, like, pop music. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, too. It's, like, Jack Antonoff is continually positioned as, like, a different kind of producer. Right. And like soft. I feel like he's just it's, like the other guys. The same shit in a different coat. He just likes to talk about working with women a yeah. lot. Oh, boy. It's yeah. fun to dissect another world that is mostly controlled by men. <laughs> I could do this yeah, my whole life. Again. And we probably will. We probably will until we die. Hazel, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share? Uh, just that uh, Fifth Harmony song, Dope, which was not on uh, the album, but was a bonus track that Jack Antonoff produced, mm. is a very good song. Thank you, Hazel. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. I, great. Good to know. I also agree that the Taylor Swift song you mentioned in your article. I wish you would. Yeah. I is, love that song. Is underrated. Yeah. So good job on that. I don't engage with Thanks, Taylor Jack. Swift. Be quieter um, in interviews. Yeah, Jack. <laughs> But Hazel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you um, for thank having you. me. I, we love to have you. Thank you so much for listening to Dirtcast, and thank you to Hazel Sills. This episode was produced by Rachel Withers and was mixed by Jamie Colazzo. Majina Mofidi is our executive director of audio. Our theme music is by Stuart Wood. If you want to send us a tip or just let us know what you think, hit us up at dirtcast at jezebel.com. You can find us on Spotify, NPR One, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm.